Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. a message from friends of the show. Introducing Spears and Spells, simple, streamlined fantasy role-playing for everyone. Spears and Spells is all new from Kabouter Games. Spears and Spells features fast D6 resolution, talents, not classes, limitless character customization, magic that grows as your character grows, fail-forward techniques to keep the story flowing, Support the Spears and Spells Indiegogo at tinyurl.com slash spearspell. That's tinyurl.com slash spearspell. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. You know, Liwanika and I thought that we were so smart. We had our production schedule nailed down for the entirety of the month of May, the entirety of the month of June. We knew what was coming. We had been watching MCU to see what episodes were coming out. We'd been watching Wizards of the Coast to see what books were coming out. We Everything was fantastic. And then, I mean this with all the love in our heart towards Wizards of the Coast, but they did us dirty. They did us so dirty. So dirty. So dirty. But I got to tell you, as dirty as they did us, at the same time, they washed us clean with all these brand new options, all this cool content. All this cool content. And I'm pretty yeah. excited. Yeah. I am very excited. This is, you usually get that line, but I'm very excited to bring you this content. <laughs> that, that was my radio voice. <laughs> we, we, are, we are still an excitable bunch. It's true. But I got to tell you, I love it. I have been in love with Dragonborn for a while. I have played a couple over the years, and it's one of the things that I thought was exceptionally cool when it kind of made its glim- glimpses and appearances towards the end of 3.5, and I heard they were in 4E, which I didn't play, so I never really got a good feel for them. Um, and then in 5E, I would say the second or third character I ever made was a Dragonborn, and he was amazing, and he was awesome, and I loved it. I have played one other one since then, and I and all the Dragonborns I've ever played at a table... Uh, either running or uh, alongside have been great. Josh, you've even had experiences running uh, or playing alongside other Dragonborn yeah. as well. Yep, absolutely, yeah. I mean, just the one of the games that I was just playing in with the Swashbuckler that I talk about a lot on this show. Uh, one of the other characters in that was a was a Dragonborn uh, uh, Battlemaster, um, and so that really I got to watch a lot of how that character was played and a lot of uh, sort of how um, that that player navigated through some things that we're going to talk about tonight in, uh, regarding action economy and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, and and I, as a storyteller, run a game that has a prolific Dragonborn warlock in the game, uh, who's an amazing character. Who and the player really knows his stuff. He really knows how to play a warlock, but more importantly, he really knows how to use a Dragonborn character, as written in the PHP. But even he has experienced challenges with that, and I have noted challenges with that. Things that just kind of took away from the immersion of the lineage, took away from the fun of the lineage. Not enough where I wouldn't play it, but enough where it's, I noticed it. And I think this goes a long way to fixing a lot of those issues. I think this is perfect because so we have the actual play uh, episodes that are about to start coming out. One of the characters in the actual play that we're doing is a dragonborn. Kilvarix is a is a dragonborn, cleric of Io, and the player is fantastic and really knows his stuff. And I think that um, he is doing a really great job at sort of masking some of the flaws in the in the dragonborn as written in the player's handbook right now with some really really great uh spell flavor customization options and so just a shout out for our own actual play there check out these episodes they're going to be coming out really really soon check out and uh, uh watch the way kill varix is played if you want to learn more about uh, about the dragonborn um but all that to go ahead and say today, we are going to be talking about the latest Unearthed Arcana that Wizards of the Coast has put out. At this point, the survey has not come out yet, um, but the, the the PDF of the rules is definitely out there. Um, and it's a beefy one. It is seven pages, um, which is about twice as long as any of the other uh, UAs which have come out lately, which were like in the four to five page of content uh, uh, range, which is which is great. Um, so it's nice to go ahead and see some more options. Before we get before we get into the rules too deeply here, I did want to uh, kind of couple this with another announcement that was made via press release today. Wizards of the Coast confirming that for the rest of 2021, in the remaining eight months, um, there are going to be three more books. So we know that we have uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft coming out uh, in about a month at this point. There are going to be three more books after that. We have on this show certainly very excitedly <laughs> talked about how there are so many signs and portents signaling that Dragonlance is coming back and that Dragonlance is coming back in a big way. That they are not only releasing the, the latest uh, set of novels but that they are also most likely putting out a campaign module. Wizards has co confirmed that there is a campaign module coming after Van Richten's, and I think that given this Unearthed Arcana, given the number of references to Dragonlance in this Unearthed Arcana, and given the uh, a change that Liwanika noticed earlier today, I think that we can go out and say it's pretty clear that the campaign module is has got to be Dragonlance. In researching for this episode, I, I'm i using D&D Beyond. I use it for many of my games anyway. I would say most of them, if not all of them at this point. It's just easier keeping. And no, we are not sponsored by D&D Beyond, though we would greatly would love to be sponsored by D&D Beyond. <laughs> hashtag call your boys TTJ. But I will say that what I noticed in looking up the PHB version of the Dragonborn, there is a little blurb that specifically referenced Draconians as basically being a special type of Dragonborn, and they just list that there. They don't give specific rules for it or a lot of details about it, but they list that there. So I have no idea if it was there in the past, if it's actually in the 
player's handbook hard copy as was originally printed or not, but I know it's on the page today and I've never noticed it before. And I, and I thought to myself, hmm, that's an interesting reference that they put in there. Maybe that's telling. It could be off. Maybe I'm um, wish fulfillment and it's been there all along and I just never noticed it. I think it's pretty cool. And I strongly believe strongly when Josh was speaking while he was speaking for all of us here at TT uh, Tabletop Journeys, I can tell you for a fact that I am super stoked for anything Dragonlance that's coming. Absolutely. Out. Can't wait for that. Absolutely. Can't can't wait. I think that there is sort of a fun thought experiment that can be done about what the other books that are going to be coming out. We've been seeing a lot of fey content lately. I if uh if my voice can carry directly to Jeremy Crawford's ear and I can say, give us a Feywild book. Uh, or give us the Fey Shadowfell book or, or whatever. Those are all fine. Maybe a psionic book. I'm going to say the sacred words. We see a lot of dragon options. We see a lot of psionic options. We see a lot of psionic dragon options. Are we going to get Dark Sun? I, I don't know. But the fact that they have said that there are three more books coming out this year, that is a lot of content to be pushed out in this year. And we know that Hasbro has also said that they are going to be ramping up production of Dungeons & Dragons material. Do we see Dark Sun? I, you know, I mean, there. who knows? But this is I think this is a really, really exciting time uh, to be a fan of the hobby. Yeah. Being a member of this hobby, being an ambassador as we are of this hobby, because that's what we're trying to do. It's exceptionally exciting because more content means more stuff to talk about. means more conversations to have. It means we get to make changes to what we have. I cannot wait till some of this UA content, hopefully all of it, because I saw nothing that I do not like. Nothing in this UA I do not like. I think there are things that I might not choose necessarily, but I found nothing that I would say, I don't want this in my game. I won't allow it at my table. I have not found anything to that magnitude. There are just things that there are things that I desperately want to play immediately. Ah, aura. Yeah. And there are things that I think would be cool to play or need to have in my world or what have you, but there's nothing in here that I would say has no place in my world. That's cool. That's very cool. And I, and I would say if they took this as written currently lock, stock and barrel, put it into the game today as official canon, I would be absolutely on board. And I have not necessarily said that about every UA. Most UAs, there's something I would say that really needs to be tweaked, that really needs to be changed. These are all things that I'm like, yeah, bring it. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I'm not there with you. I, I, I like. L- let me, let me rephrase that. I liked what's in here. I think that there are some balance questions particularly in the spells section of this UA. I think I okay. think that there are um and again it's it, it comes down to the fight between making a spell distinctive and balancing it with other spells of the same level, right? We'll get there at the end of the episode because we're we're going to we're going to go through the UA kind of in order here, but I think that if you look at some of the spells in this UA and compare them with other spells of the same level of the same school that do similar things, uh there's a power balance issue and I don't know where that comes from. And, and again, I I'm 
I think that there's definitely something to be said for making spells distinctive because that's a really common criticism is that, yep, there are five cantrips that do D8 worth of damage and they come in all five flavors, but the spells themselves really aren't that different. It's the same spell, just with different damage type at the end of the day. So I get that they're trying to be more distinctive with their spells, which I want to applaud, while at the same time saying, eh... What's a D4 really going to get me in my AC when I am 15th level? You know, that kind of thing. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and, and dive in. So let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk first about the kind of the major structural difference that they've introduced with the Dragonborn. And that is instead of uh, basically giving a listing of the types of dragons that you can be based on they basically divided them into two different schools the chromatic dragons and the metallic dragons three well so they introduced the gem dragons right but right. the gem dragons i don't think any of the new gem dragon abilities were were previously abilities of the dragonborn i think all five of those are new fair enough right yeah, those are all brand new so josh is right what they did was they took what was a monoculture of dragonborn and said, let's split them into two distinct lineages within the overall lineage of Dragonborn. And then they added a third. So there are basically three subspecies of Dragonborn that you can now be, whereas before there was really one or uh, there was an option for another kind at some point. But but essentially, they've got three su uh, sublineages within the Dragonborn, and I think that's pretty cool. I like the way that division went. Me too. Uh, and uh, when we were doing our pre-show, we talked a lot about how they really streamlined the rules for their breath weapon, right? They said that if you're a chromatic, you get your, your damage type, but you're... Um, you are casting line spells, and if you are a metallic dragon, you are casting cone spells, and that's where the line is. It's no longer like, well, if I'm a fire dragon, but I'm red, I'm using cone, versus if I'm a fire dragon uh, and I'm uh, and I'm bronze, I'm doing cone. They made it, they, they clarified the line. Metallic or cone, chromatic or line. And I really love that. We, and like Josh said, we had some discussion about that, and I think there's an, there is a legitimate argument, like, why was that necessary or was it really that difficult? Well, I think the answer comes in with some other things we're going to get to. But the reality is when it comes to breath weapons, players of Dragonborns know, depending on the class of character you're playing, or in some cases the subclass you're playing, it was rarely advantageous to utilize the breath weapon in a combat scenario. Often it was used for non-combat right. things. You know, oh, there's a fire. I happen to breathe cold, so I'm going to breathe cold and put out the fire. Or as an opening cell. Or before initiative is rolled, uh, the dragon uh, does the breath weapon in a, a, his basically surprise. And now we roll initiative. It, there were so many things about the breath weapon that just didn't really work well in combat. Both the resource management, how often you could do it, as well as issues with how effective it was from a damage standpoint versus other things various classes could do. If you're a spellcaster, after a certain level, your breath weapon is not doing anything close to what you can do, so why take your action to do it? If you're if you're a, a, a martial class, you've got multiple attacks, why would you sacrifice three attacks and do D12? Let's just say a barbarian, for instance. Why would you sacrifice for this breath weapon, which would do significantly less damage? They fixed that too, and that's why streamlining uh, the cone and the line issue becomes important because 
now people are going to be using this much more frequently, whereas before it was a very infrequent used feature. Yeah, the, the, the damage scaling that they've added now is really, really interesting uh, and really, really exciting. Um, I, I was talking earlier about the Battlemaster that, uh, that I saw this played with. Normally how he would use his breath weapon is, you know, uh, we see the enemy, they are two rounds of movement away or, or you know, um, so he would move within his line range, he would fire it, um, and then next next action, he would move up to engage them in, in person, right? Because uh, because of the weapon that he's using, right? Um, and so, but that was it. Like that was that was kind of like his opening salvo. He'd do it the once, and then pff, that was it, you know. And so this really kind of this gives the breath weapon more teeth than it did previously, and I think that's a good change. And speaking of those teeth, uh, let's just talk about the fact that how often you get to use it—a breath weapon now has uh, a, is definitely a better option for a host of issues. One, uh, similar to an argument I made earlier, if you're going to be an arcane archer, you need to arcane arch. The breath weapon for a dragonborn character can now be used all day long. It is whenever they have that attack action. And I think that's very, very important. Uh, I mean, it, what's, it's tied to your proficiency bonus now. Tied to your, bon- your proficiency bonus, but that scales with you, so you're definitely doing it more frequently. Yeah. We we've been we've been talking about about that rule for I think in all of our class videos for the last three or four months now. We've been talking about the fact that you already have a scaling mechanic in the game. Tie more things to it. Tie more things to your proficiency bonus so that characters get stronger as they go along. And and it's already built in. It's already native. You don't need to work. There's no math involved. It's proficiency bonus. Tie it to your proficiency bonus. And they did. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> like we've been we've been on that for months. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing that the arcane archer could have greatly used. Uh, uh, you know, I get the fact that you don't want to give some kind of extreme power that can be used willy nilly. I get that. There needs to be resource management, so there's some tactical decisions in the game. However, if you have resourced it to the point where you can only do it once or twice, you get analysis paralysis. It's like, should I use it now? What if I have a fight later on? I'm not going to use it now. Then later on, you can't use it, or it wasn't a good time for that either because of some other circumstances. Next thing you know, every gaming day, you may have been in two combats or three combats or worse yet, four combats, but you only used it once. A great example of this is in combat scenarios that uh, Dragonborn uh, that I talked about that is so well used, and I will say it was perfectly timed when he did use the breath weapon, to my recollection, has only used it three times in combat. He's used it several more times than that, but as far as in combat against an aggressor, Three, t- three times at most. And I think that's telling as to how well the mechanic was was written originally. And I think it's vastly improved here that you will see Dragonborn characters using this item, this more often, giving them that flavor. Other than that's just a big scaly guy, which, theater of the mind, you're never going to see. Uh, so, moving on, uh, 
the gem dragonborns which are the big addition to the to the lineage in terms of their origin i really liked the the gem dragonborns i liked what they added i liked the damage types that they added i thought that it showed real diversity uh in terms of uh new types of damage uh that a dragonborn could natively do um i thought that the flavor text was a little repetitive but Look, this is a this is a UA. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ding them too heavily for that. I just think that you know how many times can you go ahead and say that you know a a a, a dragonborn of a particular type metals ripple through their through their scales or gem colors ripple through their scales or chromatic colors ripple through their scales. Like it's it's like we we get it we get it. Dragonborn, whatever type they are, they are the color that they're associated with. We get it. Like let's let's be a little more creative here. Well, so my thought is twofold on that, and I don't 100% disagree with you, but I do have a bit of separation. Originally, Dragonborn did not have the coloring of their quote-unquote parent dragon. They were a muddled brown, or you could pick any kind of reptilian color. They, they were not, by color, tied to the dragon of choice. However, most players I know got their DMs to agree to flavor text that. Um, I know I did. So they weren't done. So I think the reason why it's so repetitive is to drive the point home that these by rule are. So if you want to be that model to Brown, now that's what you have to flavor yeah. text. I, I, I guess. Yeah. And, and so I think that's why it's that repetitive to drive that point home. Let's hope when this sees print, they find a better way to write that. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's repetitive and then there's copy and paste. And I think that, that there's there's probably some there's probably some gray area in between there that they, that they could go ahead and hit. As, as is a shock to nobody, I liked that one of the options is for them to go ahead and do psychic damage. I liked the fact that one of them can do radiant damage. I found that uh, the fact that they can do necrotic damage is really interesting because necrotic damage is one of those things in D&D 5 that is, that's the one that's kind of different from everybody else, right? And I liked that the gem dragon boy had that psionic angle to it. I thought that that was really, really interesting. Um, I thought that the gem flight ability, the basically the ability for them to go ahead and fly, you know, I think when you compare that with kind of the metallic and the chromatic where, you know, the metallic dragon, they can, they get an additional breath weapon that's really powerful. And then with the chromatic, they get the addition, they get the ability to kind of steal themselves against additional damage types. Is flight comparable to that? Yeah, probably. Did I think it was a little weak sauce? Uh, here's the issue. My love of psionics and my love of dragons and my love of the dragonborn and all this, I just wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little something. You know, and maybe, you know, they gave a psionic mind with these, so they make them somewhat psionic. Maybe I'm asking for too much, and I, I'm willing to go ahead and admit it. I think flight's an interesting thing. As a player, I've never really cared whether I've had it. I'm, as a storyteller... It's never been that much of an issue for the games I, pl- I, I run. And the main reason is I am fond of dynamic encounter spaces. So you can fly, but I can guarantee you if, you, if there's a flying character in my game, there's going to be enemies that can respond to that. That can fly also, yeah. Or, I will, or there will be settings where flying will be limited in some fashion. Maybe you're indoors or you're in a low canopy. I'm going to give opportunities for players to shine with these cool abilities, but I will also give them opportunity or situations where they're not overpowered. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, so I think for me, it's one of those that it's kind of cool. I think there's going to be players that are going to gravitate to it and absolutely love it. Uh, it's an ability that when I play my Gem Dragon, I will likely use uh, situationally, but I don't think it's going to be my go-to yeah. attack method. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's a little weak sauce on my part as a player. It's just not something I tend to do. It's not my style. And so I think that's how I think about that. But I did want to talk about the one thing. I mentioned how much I love this and I really wanted it to stay. If I could change one thing, and this is just a personal Lilanika, I want Psychic to go with the Amethyst. Really? Dragon. Oh, because you like purple. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Purple's my favorite color. And Psychic is my favorite kind of damage. Yeah. I want them to yeah. be the same. I mean, Force is, is a cool second. Yeah. I'm not going to deny that. But Emerald and Green are not my favorite colors. And therefore, Psychic being with my not favorite color <laughs> is not as cool in yeah. my mind. So that's a personal thing. It's a little quibble. So... It, it's funny. It, it's funny that you say that, actually, because one of the things that I wrote down and I actually I didn't mention it because I thought that like reading my notes again, I thought that it was a little ticky tack. The fact that there are sapphires and topaz, which are both somewhat blue uh, in the gem in the gem ancestry, I thought was a little repetitive, especially because topaz has no connection to like death magic or anything like that and this just happens to be like one of the weird areas of knowledge that i have in my brain happens to be alongside yeah, this line and when onyx. you have options like onyx or ebony or uh basalt or anything like that that Ooh, basalt dragon right, would be sweet right? that, that's that right? rolls right off the and top. that's your necrotic that's your necrotic guy is is the basalt dragonborn Topaz doesn't do it for me. And so it's especially like, you know, Topaz, Topaz and Sapphires are pretty close in color. And so it's like, why do you have two blue gem dragonborn? Uh, and one of them is, one of them is Thunder, which, okay, fine. Emerald and Thunder, I'll, 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 or Sapphire and Thunder. I'll, I'll give you that. But why Topaz? And that's, so it's like, but again, like, Understand, listening. We are being really ticky tack here. <laughs> but, but I will say, but I will say this: Crystal for Radiant yeah. was a stroke Absolutely of brilliance. brilliant. That was the perfect yep. selection. And like I said, for Force Amethyst Force, that's a great second. But I mean, if we were to reorder this, I would switch Topaz with Onyx or Basalt. Or actually, what I would do is I would call it the uh, the basalt dragon and then have onyx in parentheses so you're using both and it's the one thing um and but i would definitely go set stick stick sapphire with thunder i would stick crystal with radiant i would switch psychic to amethyst and i would pro and i would settle on um Force being for Emerald. So now that we've gone off that divert that, that super ticky tack diversion for like five minutes, let's talk about the Cobalts a little bit because I thought that the way that they fleshed out Cobalt abilities uh, was really really interesting. It, there wasn't a lot in here, but there was one thing in particular that I thought was fabulous, and this is the ability that Cobalts get their Draconic Roar ability. And I don't know if this was in... I'm going to be I'm gonna be flat out honest. I don't know if this was already in the rules or not. Nope. I didn't think so. Because I would have known... Because if there was, you would have heard about the Cobalt I've been playing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Cobalts. They're one of my favorite creature yeah. types. Oh, they're fabulous, yeah. 
and I love making them intelligent. I love making them characters. Uh, you know, the game I'm currently running, I did the, the mobs with goblins versus kobolds, but I still have a family of kobolds the player characters know and, and get along well with. Um, yeah, kobolds, all about it. The roar, so freaking oh, cool. Oh, it's, it's really Evocative. cool. Evocative. Evocative. It is cool, and it might be game-breaking because they can, without any test, impose disadvantage on whoever they're facing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Me as a player character, love it. Absolutely, I want to have it. Me as a player against an army of kobolds who can now impose disadvantage on their enemies without a test, that's too powerful. Well, here's why I say it's not too powerful. And I think it's an amazing ability for one member. Like, I can imagine that there will be one kobold in every organized play party for the rest of time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? But here's here's why I say it makes sense. Kobolds, by lore, are remarkably present in the world, right? In most D&D worlds, specifically Forgotten Realms and other places, there are kobolds everywhere. Yeah. They are always, and generally at starting levels because of what they are, but they are everywhere. To be honest, if they're as weak as they were originally written in first edition, there's no way they survive as written. And and in fifth edition, they did a great job between pack tactics and all these other things that they get. They did a great job of explaining because of their high intelligence, because of their 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 trap making abilities, their warrants or not warrants, layers, and all the things that they do. The fact that they're smart enough to be subservient to whatever is bigger in their area, all of those things are reasons why they would survive. But you still find yourself hard pressed because every party goes in at almost any level. And smokes a bunch of kobolds. With this ability, kobolds are a threat at oh, first yeah. level. Like they're a big threat. I mean, we we've you know, we've said the mechanics of DD five rest on do I get to roll more dice or not? Right? That's that's how that's how that is the mechanic with which players as they advance be, begin to show that advancement. Because because they they, roll they get dice. to roll more dice, right? And now a entire lineage force you to roll more dice in a bad way. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they shouldn't have the ability. I like the ability that draconic roar kind of like spooks out the spooks out the people that you're facing and everything like that. No problem with that whatsoever. But there should be a check. There should be a test. It shouldn't be automatic. That's my problem. Right, and, and maybe that's the change that they need to write. Uh, like I said earlier, I think they could put this in as written, and I'd be happy with it. I just think it makes Cobalt such a huge yeah. threat that it's worth ha- they're worth fighting. This takes a Cobalt mo- Cobalt mob from being a first and second level threat only, all the way up to tier six. Because if you're fighting double your party numbers, you have a party of four. If you're fighting eight Cobalts. With this ability, that's an issue. Because a couple of them get their roar on, everybody's a disadvantage. Once they attack you, as soon as there's something else with them, two of them, now they've got advantage to attack you. You're attacking them at disadvantage. Yeah. Action economy swings to them greatly. And it used to take 12 or more to make that an issue. Now, you only have to double the mob, num- double the party Not number, even. 
and that mob is a, an, a, a good threat. This actually moves a kobold mob if it's available to the stat block character, which we would have to just build as DMs, which hint, hints to all your storytellers out there. You can use this ability and give it to any kobold stat block. So now you can make kobolds that have it anyway. Yeah. Or maybe you only give it to the kobold boss. Right, it maybe not every kobold has this. Maybe it's the kobold boss, or maybe when they rewrite it, they give this thing as a yeah. feat, a, uh, oh, a lineage yes. feat. That would be yep. awesome. Yep. So now it's not everybody yep. has it, but kobolds yep. are known I, for. I, it, right? I also think that as a as a as a lineage feat, then I think you got to increase the range because the range is only ten feet. So that's that's pretty limited. Yeah, uh, and so there are some limiting factors, but you know. Anyway, that that's just kind of my thought on that. Let's talk about the feats that are featured in the ua here so uh as expected uh given that there are three dragonborn sub lineages i guess for lack of a better term there are three feats uh one for each of the chromatic metallic and gem dragon uh Leonico, what were your thoughts on those i like them i i, I looked at them as kind of a filler feat. I think it was neat because it's a feat that uh, will actually truly provide uh, a fill. So you have your chromatic dragons, which are mostly defensive in nature, so you give them offensive power with the feat. So it's like they bring on a different aspect, uh, which I think is great. It allows for good versatility, depending on the class you're putting this lineage with. So there are going to be times where you don't want that because it's not necessary based on your class. Or there's going to be times where it's like, look, I better take this. If you're a class that doesn't have strong offensive capabilities other than spells, this is the kind of thing that would make it very cool to play. A sorcerer who will wield certain types of weapons or a warlock, say a hexblade warlock, uh, who has very limited spell uh, spells at their disposal now has the ability to imbue his weapon with power that makes it magical and uh, allows him to do that extra damage. Um, that's very thematic and works well with his non-spell uh, slot linked items. So I think it becomes a very great choice. Being able to do that for 10 rounds is not nothing. Like, think about your, your normal combats. The combats where you're going to need magical weapons, if that combat if that combat is going for 10 rounds, you've got a bigger problem than the fact that your feet just ran out, you know? And that's, you know, and so so it's a, it's a one and done, which again, I think is fine, you know? But yeah, I mean, that that, that ability as to, that you get for free with this feat, not nothing. So we're talking about a lineage that already has so much tied to proficiency bonuses. We already have a lineage that's tied to so many extra dice being rolled for different things. So to have the feat for these lineages, or that's representative of these lineages, not tied to one of those things is actually a very strong mechanical choice. Yeah, you know, uh, we talked about being too repetitive. We talked about some things not making a lot of sense or not wanting to confuse things. You know, hey, I've got this for 10 rounds. That's a, I started it and I can forget about it kind of thing. And it's there. Um, that works very, very well. It specifically says weapon, so no, you're not adding this if you're a Dragonborn monk, uh, unless you're using monk weapons. You know, looking at you, uh, future, add this to the Crusher feet kind of Dragonborn. 
This is not a lineage that gets feats early, so you're going to get it with your class. So if you're going to take these feats and you want to pair them with something, you're going to have to prepare and really plot that out so that you're going to get things and things come online when they're going to count. I would recommend these types of feats early. Them be your first ones because a D4 damage counts in the lower levels, not so much in the later levels. So it won't change a whole lot in the later levels. So get it early so that as your other things go up, then this will happen. As that well. was actually, so that was the one thing that I, I did take away from the feats and, and that um, uh, is that uh, I don't think that they scale well because, uh, so the, the chromatic dragon and the metallic dragon ability only being a D4, that's great at low levels, but it's it's great for tier one. It'll be okay in tier two. By tier three, a D4, uh, an extra D4 damage or an extra D4 to, uh, to a target AC, uh, that's... I guess the, the target AC is a little bit more powerful as a D4, um, but it's it doesn't scale very well. And I also, uh, just to kind of go on, on your observation too about how, you know, the Chromatic Dragons were largely defensive in their, uh, or, or defensive buffs in their, in their abilities. The Metallic Dragons were offensive buffs uh, and the feats switched that around. Um, I was originally not a fan of that. That's actually something that I'd called out to go ahead and say, like, uh-oh, flavor text. They've got these backwards, right? Um, you know, they, you know, the gift of the metallic dragon doesn't have anything to do with the metallic dragon's abilities. It's the chromatic dragon's abilities. As a, as, but as a, as a gap filler, um, I, I think you're right. I think that, that that helps balance out that character. Now, I did notice one thing as we're talking about this, and I didn't pick it up in my in my initial pass throughs, is that it doesn't make the damage magical. It only gives it the damage type. Right. I think that's a bit of an oversight. I think you make it magic, mm. and that makes it cool. Yep. I think I didn't worry about the scaling because I thought it made it magical. Yep, yep. it doesn't. Because it's not magical, now I'm more worried about the scaling. Yeah. So while my opinion was, say, 7 to 8 out of 10, I would say it's now more like a 6 to 7. Yep. Because I think it's cool, it's flavorful, I like it. Look, having the ability to do some stuff with your reaction for most classes that don't have reactions makes sense, and it fits the flavor of this, you need to be draconic, right? I thought that was kind of cool, but now knowing that it doesn't have the magic, at least as far as the, um, the chromatic dragons, not as cool. Moving on to the metallic dragon, cure wounds, bad ass. I like that. That's good. Um, you know, and then you get those pro the the protective wings that forms a shield. I think that is very evocative. I see that those wings of enveloping, covering, damage flies, and you know, I I love the way that looks, right? That that works you know, for me. That's that and that's that, that's the ability that uh from Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's like something's flying at him, throws out the wing, you know, yeah. Badass. Totally agree with you. Now, going on to the Gem Dragon, I love this ability. Why? It's got a stat bonus. I, I've said it before, I love me a stat bonus in a feat. You get the one-point stat bonus, you get a choice as to where you put it. They they make sense for the, for, for the lineage. And then you can turn around and you can take damage away. You get that helpful thing. And it's flavored that it works with your telekinetic energy. So it goes with the psionics of this uh, uh, of this lineage. So I love everything about that. And look, the damage on this, because it's based on, a, a, on, on great 
mechanics. It's your, you know, the saving throw works. I think that of all the feats, it's definitely the yeah, best. Yeah, I think one. so too. Um, and and uh, I I looked at this uh, and compared it to other similar feats. Um, the one that I landed on was uh, the telekinetic feat from Tasha's, um, which also gives you a stat bonus. It also gives you that ability to sort of move enemies with your mind in one direction or another. Um, and so this is sort of telekinesis without... So you don't get the Mage Hand cantrip, which is which is fine. Because instead of just getting the move, you get the move plus damage. And I think that that's a nice touch. You know, again, kind of talking about, uh, about earlier where there is a desire to make the feats different enough from each other. And just, you know, so that you've got to pick, like, do I want telekinesis or do I want gift of the gem dragon? Um, I think the answer is you take both, but that's, you know, that's a separate issue altogether. <laughs> now we're already talking about level eight though. So, you know, that's, that's from the, for the most part. But not if you're talking about a fighter. If you're talking about a fighter, right? Exactly. If you get a like a Psy warrior with telekinesis and gift of the gem dragon, like that's that's the sweet spot. Because the oh, other fact so that we didn't mention that yet, character, <laughs> yeah, is the fact that this uses reaction, whereas the telekinetic feat uses your bonus action. And so, from an action economy, that's perfect. You put one thing on one and the other. Now that works great with a Psy warrior. Not as good with, say, a Battlemaster, because a Battlemaster already has so many things uh, that are going on for bonus actions and reactions. However, however, if you were to do this with a Battlemaster, load on the maneuvers that use bonus actions, don't take Telekinetic Feet, only take this feat, and now this becomes your go-to for the, for the reaction. So important ways to play that I think this hits very yeah, nicely. And I, I think too that like, so we're talking a lot about fighters too, but let's, let's, let's kind of go down this path. We heard a lot of feedback about our discussion of the Cavalier fighter class uh, because of uh, its ability at higher levels, basically to continue to use its reaction uh, to, to stave off enemies. Similarly, I think that with the Cavalier, you don't take this feat because again, you're going to run out of reaction spots eventually like you can't you can't continue to do cavalier things and gem dragon things so that's not that's not a great build combination right well at least not gift of the gem dragon things you could be a great gem dragon cavalier however this is not the feat for you take the telekinetic feat so now you're using the bonus action one what it does is it basically takes a general ability puts some minor differences in it and says use one one way use the other another way and gives everybody options to have it. And I think that's cool. There is one thing that I noticed with these particular feats. They are not specifically, or at least as written today, tied to Dragonborn. Yeah, you don't have to be a Dragonborn to get them. You don't have to be a Dragonborn to take, which I like because it fits Natasha's flavor. It's a bit of a departure from Xanathar's and Sag, which had yeah. or Xanathar's, yeah, yeah, yeah. which had lineage feats directly. So you could only take them if you were that lineage. I don't know if that's something we're going to get some errata on that changes that element because that would make it cool. I would say, however, watch for some abuses if they ever did that because now Prodigy is anyone, and that that could be yeah. challenging. I, I really liked. Uh, I really liked how they didn't do that. And it all had to do with the way that they flavored 
what these feats could be, you know, and where kind of the origin is. But just imagine the storytelling potential of your fourth level fighter leading a party of heroes into the dragon's den, slaying the de- slaying the dragon, and then taking part of that dragon's essence when he levels up to fourth level and takes that next feat, slays a red dragon, and then all of a sudden gets red dragon abilities, and that kind of thing. Like I think that from a flavor text point of view uh, is a really, really compelling story. So, Or he now multi-classes and takes on a sorcery background and chooses draconic sorcerer but also selects this feat when he gets that feat option you know or he takes this at fourth and then for fifth he takes a sorcerer thing so now he's building that uh that that lineage a bit or building the new aspect I think there. This is a great bridge into a lot of. Role I mean, you talk about. Um, uh, you talk about. We, so we talk about inspiration that comes from outside the game a lot. Uh, look at your Game of Thrones, right? Where you've got the the the, the prince that was promised when he can go ahead, or uh, uh, when when Stannis Baratheon can take his his sword and make it on fire, right? That's a now that's a power that a chroma- that the gift of the chromatic dragon can give your traditional fighter. Like I have a sword. Nope, I have a sword that's on fire. Right, um, and so that's kind of where that that's that's what that allows you to go ahead and build. So you you open the door talking about about spellcasters. Let's talk about the spell section. There are what one two three four five six spells listed in here. Um, I don't think we need to dive into them in, in great, in great depth. Um, but let's talk about some pieces that, uh, of, of each one, um, kind of in a, in a level here. Draconic transformation as a seventh level transmutation spell. Um, and the big thing that it does is it, uh, it has this AOE ability, a 30 foot cone, which is not, certainly not nothing. Every character in that 30 foot cone needs to make a dexterity saving throw or take 3d8 force damage. I thought for a seventh level spell, 3d8 force damage sounded weak. Um, and I think maybe it's because the, the spell has more than just sort of uh, that one ability. But I, I, I guess I get that I get the ability to fly and I get that I also get to go ahead and do damage too. I just, I'm not sure about the combination of those two things as a seventh level spell. Seventh level spell is not cheap. I mean, figure your spellcaster is going to be 13th or 14th level before he gets to cast that. Doing 3d8 levels, uh, 3d8 uh, force damage that didn't really strike me. So here's why I think it's set that way. Because you're correct. Part of it is because it has other things. The ability to have blind sight uh, for 30 feet is important, right? Anything that's not beyond total, that means no one's getting away from yep. it uh, fully. Uh, the fact that you can fly means you're strafing. Yep. The fact that this can be spammed, because let's keep in mind, this is not a one and done. This is a concentration spell that lasts for a full minute that allows you to spam it's because you're doing all of these things for a long period of time the flight's going to keep you out of most attack ranges and, and harm so you're not going to get hit as often therefore you're not going to need as many concentration checks. oh you're high enough in level that you're probably going to be if you're using the spell and deep in combat you're going to have warcaster so you're going to get advantage on your concentration checks anyway, and you're high enough level, the likelihood of you failing a concentration check is pretty nominal. Yeah. Oh, yep. It is that combination that makes it 
need to be this week. You are absolutely correct because the part that I that I skipped over, it's not a one time. You get to cast this as a bonus action on every turn for the duration of the spell, which means you get you get 10 casts of it. Right. No, so what it is is it's yeah, you get to hit that damage as a bonus action for 10 turns. Wow. The, yeah, so the the turn you cast the spell is the only turn you can't do it. So what when you cast this spell and every subsequent turn. Oh, so okay. yeah. So you oh, get yeah. so you get it for yeah, eleven so. turns because your one minute timer starts at the end of your turn, right? Um and so I, I will I will say that I did write down that uh my initial thought was that mandating force damage was not great and that they should have that that they should have given it the flavor of uh, of various damage types, but but that I was glad that they didn't because I thought that that could be overpowered. Uh, reading this again, yeah, being able to choose what type of damage that is would have been way overpowered. I I take back everything I said. As a seventh level spell, perfect. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty spot on. Now 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 that we read through it, so I think we both looked at that initially and said, well, I don't know. But then once we both got our two different points that we picked up on. And that, that's to tell you, ladies and gentlemen out there in uh, in the audience, this is a cooperative game that is played <laughs> with friends at the table or virtually, but it's done as a team for a reason. We didn't see everything there was to see individually, but when we get together, we cover a whole lot of ground. That's enough to make you not want a multi-class so you can hit that one hard yeah, yeah, and yeah. fast. Yeah, you, you, your 14th you you level wizard big bad guy can now turn into a dragon. Like, okay. Yeah, like the more I think about the implications of that, the more I'm like, okay, that's that's a lot. I mean, it's a 7th level spell. So, I mean, that's 7th level spells. Yeah, 7th level spells should be a much. Yeah, yeah, they should be. You know, let's talk about Fizzbin's Platinum Shield, our first, our overt reference to Dragonlance. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I wonder I wonder if I was wrong here because uh, I said the same thing. I thought that as a sixth level spell um, that this seemed that this seemed expensive because it grants half cover. It grants damage resistance. It basically auto auto succeeds dexterity saving throws. Um, instead of instead of being a dexterity saving throw causing full or half, it uh, it causes half or nothing. So. Yeah, so you're as a spellcaster, you're never going to use this for your rogues because at equivalent level, they ain't taking damage. In no, this exactly. Way They've already got abilities that go go ahead. And, I forget what the name of it is, but it's um, uh, I know my swashbuckler had it. So I mean, by this level, as a sixth level spell, they've got a couple. Yeah, of them, right, mostly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is another one that is a concentration spell, and it does last for up to a minute. So again, we're spamming powerful abilities that last for a while. Half cover is no joke. If you've got a spellcaster or a character who gets hit a lot at this level, getting hit hurts, right? So you just give them a plus two, that's making that roll a lot harder. Or you give it to your barbarian, so he's even harder to hit. Now he's resisting all of these things in addition to the normal damage, which he's already resistant to. And now your barbarian that you brought, dropped in the front of that fight is uh, is getting uh, bonuses to their, uh, you know, basically making their saves or only taking half damage uh, uh, from a save. That's an impressive boot, uh, boost. That is a serious buff to a lot of parties. Wow. Wow. And let's look at the spell list on that. Sorcerers and Wizards. So you've got two... Two classes that, depending on your subclass, are are either blasters, they're not buff 
type characters, but this added to the repertoire of a blaster wizard gives him the ability to buff, then blast. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess. What's the casting time on it? The casting time's a full action, action. so... I guess I so I'm thinking back to um to like my Kenku fire evoker and I'm thinking would he take an action to do this So I have played very few wizards right so I don't know about that but I have played a couple sorcerers and I'm going to tell you if you have the twin spell yep you just put this oh, on yeah. uh on two people yeah. Yeah, as a sorcerer, I can certainly see. Yeah, totally. You'd be, you'd be able to cast two of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good first round. We're we're in the boss battle. I've got a fighter and a barbarian. There's me and another guy. Yeah, I'm twinning this one. Especially where, as a bonus action, you can move them, right? So that's a really good combination. Is this worth... That, and that's a... that's Is it worth a six-level six six spell slot? Six like, that's slot? the question. For a wizard, I'd say yes. For a sorcerer, depending on how you're structured, I'd say yes. Okay. Right. Uh, and because it's only those two, who knows? I could see, you know, I wish they allowed something like that for a bard. A bard who's oh, a buff kind of guy anyway. Yeah. That would be awesome. It's not the case. Oh, well. However, if you're bard, you're not going to do a class to get this because it's too high. But, um, yeah, I'd say it's worth it. Uh, all right. Flame stride. Uh I think the spell is perfect the way that it is. I have no issues with this whatsoever. Um, I think that the damage scales well. I think as a third level transmutation spell, it is it is right in line with other third level spells. Uh, it's basically it's a it's a it's a, a buffed firebolt. No problems with this one whatsoever. Yeah. 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 I yep. dig it. Yeah. I can dig it. Uh, let's see. Icing death's frost. The so I compare this to I, I compare this to Frostfinger. So it's a second level evocation spell. Frostfinger is also a second level uh, evocation spell. Um, basically, it is it's the same spell with an additional ability that reduces their speed to zero. Right. So it does. So basically, Frostfinger just does the damage. This does the damage and reduces their speed to zero, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, and I think, especially if the damage is is similar or the same, you don't need to go up a level for the extra ability because I don't think this level of damage would be worth a, a third level. Uh, I don't think that would be worth it. If this was a level three spell, I'm like, you better do more than that for damage. Like, you'd have to go higher, you know, you know, like... Four or five D eight to make the, make the damage worthwhile. So I was wrong. So Frostfingers is actually a first level evocation spell, and so this so this does one additional thing, which is great. And the cone is bigger. Frostfingers is a fifteen foot cone. This is a thirty foot cone, and so you if and and that makes yeah, sense. So you scale exactly, it right. up. So, so if right. you take Frostfinger and you cast it as a second level spell, you get three D eight of cold damage, right? Which is exactly where we are here. And this one also gets um, stops the rest's movement. And uh, it's a bigger cone. So that that makes sense to me. We go from weak sauce to uh, super strong sauce with uh, with, with Rolothum's Psychic Lance. Holy crap. This is a spell with 120... So it's a fourth level spell. Let's keep that in mind for just for where I'm going to go with this, right? 120 foot range, which is generally three or four rounds of movement for a creature, right? Right? Or... You don't. They don't even have to be in range. Uh, you know, you unleash a, a a creature that you can see within range, or a creature that you know their name. 
it erases the range requirement if you know their name. That's some fey bullshit. <laughs> That's some fey bullshit. Now it now it says if if the name target is within range, it gains no benefit from cover or invisibility uh, when the lance homes in on it. So if I know your name, you are effed, <laughs> right? Um, and here's the thing. So as a fourth level spell. If you fail your intelligence saving throw, you take 10d6 psychic damage. One of the least resist... And you're incapacitated. Resisted damage types in the game. A- absolutely. Yeah. So let's go ahead... Now, again, to go ahead and see if this is overpowered, we have to compare it against something, right? So so here we are. It's a fourth level enchantment spell. There is a second level enchantment spell called Tasha's Cauldron, uh, from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, called Tasha's Mind Whip, right? It allows you to go ahead and overcast it. So at, it's a second level spell. So at fourth level, it does 5d6 damage and does not have any of the benefits of 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 the lance, right? It's still an intelligence saving throw, but it's 5d6 and it's just a 5d6. Like you get an intelligence saving throw and you either take full or half, right? This is twice as much damage and has significant benefits if I know who you are. That's insane. And this and this weapon scales. So as a fourth level spell, I can cast it at eighth level and do 14d6 psionic damage. That's an average of 60-something points of psionic damage. That's insane. Yeah. This spell is an ass kicking. It's an ass kicking. This is... Yeah, this is... If there are not a host of players that are now building psionic sorcerers, uh, then there are people who aren't building sorcerers right. (laughs) I mean, this is... This is... This is... This is a wow. This is a wow. So, as if that wasn't enough... There's also the line in there that, like, okay, so, Mr. Lee One Ego, you have crossed me, and I am a psionic sorcerer, which means every day when I wake up, I am going to cast the spell, and I'm going to potentially inflict you with 10d6 points of psionic damage, right? Because I know your name, I'm just going to send it to you. If you're not in range, I don't lose the spell slot. Yeah. I can just cast it. He's like, you know what? I want Lee One Ego to suffer 10d6 of psychic damage right now. Nope, he's not. The, okay, nope, no worries. I get the spell slot back. Okay. I can just do that. I can just do so, it for free. So, yeah. So let's just talk about how this plays into uh, a campaign. Yeah. How many How many of your players are now going to take their downtime activities, use, two or, use several days or weeks of downtime to research the names of their, future, their targets for the next part of their campaign? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you've got this spell you're going to have a whole bunch of yeah. help actions going yeah. on in your party because yeah. they're going to want to know who they yeah, can just, talk to. Just, That's yeah. just how this is like, going to work. You, you've got Bucky from Falcon and Winter Soldier with the with, with the book, with the names in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that spell's overpowered. <laughs> like, that's, that's, it's incredibly powerful. I think at the damage level it is, it needs to be a fifth level spell. I, I think that's the fair amount. I think, what limits it is the fact that, it, I mean, and it's a wide range. It's a wide range of casters. You've got bards, you've got sorcerers, you've got wizards, you've got warlocks. That's, that's... Oh, I don't want a warlock with this spell. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, a warlock with demonic investment that can go ahead and use that demonic source to go ahead and get my name? How about a great old one? Uh, a warlock of a great old one. How evocative and how 
perfect would oh, that yeah. be? Oh, yeah. From a flavor point of view, I love this spell. From a mechanics point of view, I'm looking at it like, that's broken. It's too powerful. And so then we go from the spell that is too powerful to the last spell in the section, Summon Draconic Spirit, which I really feel is underpowered. I think that it is... I don't... It really... It didn't It didn't have enough. And, and again, from a flavor point of view, it's fine. But basically, you are summoning... Because I, I, I did the math on it. It's like a, it's like a CR2, CR3 Dragon Spirit at, as a fifth level spell. And the reason why it's so low is because the Dragon Spirit doesn't have very many hit points. It's only got 50 plus the spell level. Uh, plus, uh, yeah, if, if you cast it at fifth level or above, it gains 10 points per level. And that's how it scales. But so at fifth level, if you cast it as a fifth level spell, it's only got 50 hit points. That's that basically brings that. That's exactly. like like fifty hit points is like a CR one creature, right? Like that's that's no, it's more like a CR. Uh, I looked it up. <laughs> if you look in if you look in the CR scale, and you can get this off of uh, uh, there's the challenge rating calculator, which is basically as part of the five E tools. Uh, fifty hit points ranks it as a CR one half creature. So I'm thinking of a displacer beast. A Displacer Beast is a CR3 with 85 hit points. Yes, yeah, this has got 50. Half as many. And a Blink Dog, I think, is sitting around 21 and a CR1 or 2. Yeah, I mean, that's the... A, a CR... A, I'm, I'm sorry, Blink Dog's a one-quarter. Yeah, a, 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 a CR1 half creature starts at 50 hit points. And it's 50 to 70. Which means that until you're casting this spell at 8th level, it's not even CR1 based on its hit points. Right, but hip, but CR is but more no, than hip is. points. It also right. has to do with right, which abilities. is why I said right. it's like a CR so two and a half. It's like it's in that neighborhood. Right, but we are talking about something that flies at eighty feet. That speed alone and that strength, yep, is why it does better. Because once you're in the air, you're getting hit by less stuff. Oh, that's fair. Your barbarian can hit you with a javelin, but he's not hitting you with his with his battle axe. He's not most most martial creatures are not hitting you except for the archers. With the maximum of their abilities, and generally speaking, the archers are throwing down less damage than than the melee uh, melee marshals. So while you are still able to be hit by spells, you are limiting what hits you're going to take. Its AC isn't isn't bad. Uh, no, at at AC four AC fourteen, at, and that's why it actually ranks so high because its AC is pretty good. Actually, it's not fourteen. It's it's nineteen at casting because it's the oh, level plus the level of spell. Plus the level oh. of spell. That's an AC nineteen. I think that's a typo. Uh, it, well, it's a UA, so maybe they'll fix that later. But but that's an AC nineteen, which means it's also not getting hit terribly often. So you're getting hit less. You're airborne, which means you're getting hit less. You've got a movement option that very few things have. It has a swim speed, so again, very few things have. Its strength is a plus four. It's also coming at you with resistances to all these types, right? And depending on what kind. So if you're using this and you cast it gem, you're resistant to all the things that are not normally resistant to. So if you're casting this spell and you're up against a paladin, you just gotten rid of yep. smite. Yep. You are now immune to smite. That is worth that is worth some CR right there in yep. the handbasket. Yep. No, that that that's fair. I think, yeah, it's situational. It's situational. Though. So it's not every it, you. If you're using this spell, you got to pick the bad guys you're using against. 
This is this is one that is very good against a mob. It's very good against specific high level enemies. Uh, but it's not good against every. I mean, high it, level it is a large creature too, so it's definitely going to be one of those things that it it is. It's really useful against a mob because you're right. It's not going to get hit very often, and it doesn't have very many hit points, so it it can't get hit very often, right? If the if the party's making an escape and you get one of these to block your retreat, you're good. Well, I mean, let's think about that for a second, though. Hold on. So, as a fifth level spell, it's a tenth. So, tenth level spellcaster, right? And I'm assuming it's it's a uh, warlocks, uh, wizards, and sorcerers. Uh, summon druid, sorcerer, and wizard. Oh, druid with this could be interesting. <clears throat> but I digress, right? So, tenth level spellcaster. So let's assume cast this and then wild shape next to it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you can wild shape into a dragon. So, so now you're facing two dragons, not one. Does this require concentration? Yep. It does require concentration uh, for up to an hour. <laughs> so it lasts for a while, too. Uh, anyway, we digress. So, uh, large creature, 10th uh, level wizard, you're most likely facing, you're most likely going to be kind of like 8th, ninth level f- party. Their proficiency bonus is going to be 4 or 5. So depending on, on depending on the class, and so at an AC nineteen, uh, if I am a fighter, I'm hitting it about thirty percent of the time. So and at, but and as an eighth level fighter, how many hit points am I doing? Because it's only going to take fifty, um, and I I can do yeah. It's only resistant to like the spe- to like the special damages. So like slashing and piercing and stuff like that don't. That's not resistant to. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, it's even though it's a spirit, I don't have to hit it with magical damage. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's you know, um, I think it could be a little bit better on the hit points. Like if they said, I think that's the thing. It's the hit points. Yeah, I think if they said it's sixty plus twenty per level, I think I would yeah, like it better. I think lower, honestly, lower but, the armor class and then make it, have it more hit, have it give it more hit points. I actually like the armor class where it is because I, I I play a tenth. Uh, a, I'm playing a tenth level. Battlemaster. I've got lots of bonuses to my attacks, but and we're fighting a lot of things that are in that 20 to 23 range. On a D20, even with all my bonuses, I still have to hit 13s and above to hit most of the enemies we're going against. So it's not terribly far off of what I need to do. At a, at a 19, I'm going to hit it a bit, but I'm not going to hit it all the time. And I think that's a sweet spot that you really want to have for um, if you're a storyteller, you want your enemies to be in that sweet spot. It's game breaking if they're higher than that, and it's weak sauce and not useful if it's lower than that. So I think it's set pretty well at a 14 plus. If someone said 15 plus, I'd be like, I could see that. If someone said 13 plus, I could be, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. I think plus or minus one works, but I like it where it is. I think there's some things now that we've talked it through that make it a little stronger than we would have thought. Its actions are great. That breath weapon, the breath is, weapon is fabulous. I think the, uh, the the bite and claw. It's a creature that can fly, so its bite and claw weapons aren't going to be great anyway. I think I think D six plus four plus uh plus the spell level. Again, I mean, if I'm facing tenth level fighters, you know, ten points of damage. It's only it's got what two attacks. Uh, Dragon uses its breath weapon and a number of bite and claw attacks equal to half the spell's level rounded down. So it's going to start at two. I the fact that it can use its breath weapon and that and it's flying means it's doing 
it's doing a bit. Yeah, exactly. Off. I mean, honestly, if if this dragon lands, so here's the here's the here's the tactics, right? If this dragon lands, Keep it in the air. he's dying. He's so he's got to be in the air using that flight speed or underwater using its swim speed. You know, oh, I mean, can you can you imagine? Can you imagine being underwater? I mean, basically play Godzilla, right? Um, you know, be underwater, use. Uh, although actually, uh, one of the options is not. Uh, it's not po- oh no poison damage there we go yeah so um uh you can you know be under be underwater use your your breath weapon as poison now all of a sudden the water is poisoned you know around your heroes like that's you know that's the kind of that's the kind of condition uh bonus that you can go ahead and do with this stuff so i i think it's something that works really really well um but it's at fifth level it's not all powerful yeah and, and as a conjuration spell at fifth level i think it's it's probably not the best fifth level conjuration, but it's yeah. definitely. And not I actually the worst. think that it's a far better spell for a druid than it is for a wizard or a sorcerer. I think that the wizard or sorcerer probably have better options, but as a druid spell, pretty great. So, yeah, especially a sorcerer who has limited spell slots. Yep, anyway. exactly. Like, yep. I, however, now that I say that, twin that some bitch. Wow. Yeah. Yep. In general. I think this is a really, really strong UA, and I like what it is hinting towards. I like where it is going. I like the direction that they're taking. I don't think any of our complaints with with anything that's in here are serious or or or. Uh, look, there are some things that are super powerful, but I mean that's that's what's going to happen when you're dealing with they're trying to make new stuff. They're trying to give new powers. They're trying to give flavored spells and everything like that. Some of the things are overpowered. Yeah, I think that that's what you're going to get with a UA like this, and especially when we start seeing Dragonlance, uh, I think these are these are going to be uh, really keenly featured in this. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, it's very similar. I think much better than other ones. This doesn't have the power creep; it just has cool powers. Yep. Right. I don't think this greatly changes much. There are some things that are very powerful, but they're limited. They're limited in, in scope. Bit. Yeah. So I think that's perfectly okay. I also like um, in the in the with my goal whenever I play a spellcaster of not being the fireball guy, um, the fact that there's other options. Uh, you know, the psychic options are a great add. The the frost is a great add. I think there's some great adds here, and I love the inclusion of the gem dragon. Absolutely, dragon. yeah. I think that's a great one. You know, I almost wish, since you're adding the gem dragons, why didn't you add that alternate group of metallics, the steel and 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 the iron dragon and all those kinds? Because I think they're kind of cool, too. They're great for lore. I think, it, I mean, if you're going to go with the gem dragons, you might as well have added those. But I get why they didn't. Maybe that's a, that's a f- super future state, or maybe it's not even necessary at all. Very picky. My, my issues are extraordinarily, extraordinarily picky. picky. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And very unique to me as an individual player and, and my style. Just switch psychic. <laughs> give, give the poor man his purple psychic damage, please. We would love to go ahead and hear from, from you all on what we got right, what we got wrong. Uh, you guys know how to do that. If not, keep listening. I'll tell you at the end of the show here how to go ahead and uh, interact with us. Otherwise, keep your eyes out for the survey. This UA is fantastic. Uh, as Even in the hour and change that we've been talking, I have learned more things digesting this. Um, uh, so, you know, read it. Read it multiple times and uh, and, and enjoy it. And uh, Dragonlance, there's Dragonlance coming. There's got to be Dragonlance coming. Got to be Dragonlance. It's got to be the next campaign module. Yeah, Dragonlance is coming with a little 
peppering <laughs> of some yeah, fables. And some fables. Hey, oh. I'm just happy that they didn't give the Dragonborn Dark Vision, okay? Like, that's, you know. I, you know what? Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, th- I like that. Thank you very much, everybody. We will talk to you again later. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TTJourneys, and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.